We're going to continue our discussion on rights. We talked a lot about the Bill of Rights last week. We talked about some other things. We talked about, you know, we have certain inalienable rights that are given to us by our Creator and that they come from God and not man and that nobody has the right to, to interfere with those rights. But we also talked about the fact that, you know, even though we have those rights, nobody has the right to interfere with those rights, we also don't have the right that those rights don't give us the right to make other people pay for our rights. Like, I have the right to pursue happiness, but I don't have the right to make someone else pay for my happiness, especially after I've done something stupid to mess it up. Like I was talking about the fact overweight, eating too much, type 2 diabetic. I don't have the right to make somebody else pay for my health care because I was an idiot. So these are things that we need to talk about, and we're going to continue our discussion on rights today. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. This is not a square inch, the new podcast of Hope Prison Ministries. The goal is to help you see all of life through the lens of Scripture. To learn more, please visit us at notasquareinch.org. Okay, so we're going to get back into uh, kind of a biblical study of rights. And I think that's super, uh, it's important that we look at those rights. So we're going to just look up real quickly some Bible verses about rights. And we're going to take them one at a time. And we're going to discuss them. And I know that it would be great if I was like, super organized and spent hours doing this but the reality is this isn't paying anything (laughs) and i'm doing this just to help people kind of learn how to think through scripture and think biblically about certain things and my hope and my prayer is that you'll look at the resources that we link in the videos uh or not the videos but on the website we'll link resources to books we'll link resources to things to help you think through this even more for yourself um, but they are, you know, it is important that we look at these rights, okay? So uh, we're going to look first, like we, first thing that comes up here is Galatians 3.28. And it says, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So right away, next racism, okay? Racism is out the door. If you are a Christian, you do not have the right to despise someone else for the color of their skin. You do not have the right to have somebody that you uh, take captive as a slave. You know, we're not, slavery is not a, this kind of slavery of forced servitude and those kinds of things was not a biblical form of slavery, um, not biblically sanctioned form of slavery. It did exist in biblical times, but it certainly wasn't a biblically sanctioned form of slavery. So in Christ, there is none of this, right? There's just my brother and my sister, in Christ, and that I'm supposed to love them. And if they're not in Christ, I'm supposed to love them into Christ, right? So there's no idea. The Bible does not, on any page, support a concept of racism. Never has, never will. Now, the Bible may not speak out against certain things that were happening in the Old Testament, not its purpose. The Bible wasn't meant to be an encyclopedia, right? There's a verse in the New Testament where uh, the disciple says, John says, look, I could have written a lot of other things. There's a whole lot more to tell you. But the reality is I wanted you to know these things, that you would know Christ, and that that's the purpose of everything I've written. And so that really is the purpose of all of Scripture, right? The purpose of all of Scripture was not to be like this giant social running commentary for 3,000 years, right? The purpose of Scripture was to be what we call the history 
history of redemption. It was to teach us about the fall of man into sin and God sending his son to die for us on the cross and be raised and for us being united with him eventually. That's kind of the whole purpose of scripture's creation, fall, man, redemption, heaven, all of that. That's kind of the purpose. Now, along the way, we get some social commentary, but it wasn't meant to be exhaustive. It wasn't meant to encounter every single thing. It gives guiding principles. And one of the guiding principles that's on the pages from beginning to end, the Bible had a very, very different view of women. It had a very, very different view of men. It had a very different view of society overall. And it would often tell them to be trendsetters and to have different values and different customs than even what they had in their society. And so Galatians 3's New Testament, Paul's talking. He says, hey, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's slave nor free. There's no male, no female. You are all one in Christ. We do not have the ability to discriminate on the basis of any of those things. Now, all of those things have roles in Scripture, and all of those things have places in Scripture, and this is not going to be an extensive, exhaustive commentary on what those things are, but I just want to say right up front that racism does not have a place in the kingdom of God. I cannot emphasize that enough. Racism does not have a place in the kingdom of God. Not only does racism not have a place in the kingdom of God, but Actually, charity and love are the should be the resounding clarion call of the Christian community. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. Right? First Corinthians thirteen. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. Nothing else means anything except love. Owe no one anything except the love of Jesus. So love should triumph over all. Now, love does not mean that because I love somebody, I have to pay for everything for them. That's not, that's not what love is. People love to like pour their own meaning into the scripture. When I say love should triumph over everything, I mean that love should triumph over everything. I should be loving toward my brother. I should be considerate toward my brother. I should consider everything about that brother, what kind of background they have, what kind of situation they're in. When we do prison ministry, I open it up to everybody. I've got, listen, I've got young, old. Now, right now, we primarily deal with men. I hope to one day have a women's house. But we open it up to everybody. It could be young, old, male, female, white, black, Mexican. I don't care. We're going to take anybody in that wants to follow Christ and we're going to try to help them live a godly life. Race should never be a factor deciding anything for us. We should not use race as a deciding factor for anything. And I say this too, you know, not just with Whites toward blacks, but I say this even with blacks toward whites, Mexican toward white, whatever. Race should not be a deciding factor on either side of the line. How you treat somebody as an employer, you know, do I hire this guy? Do I hire this guy? Race should not be a factor at all. It's never, it should never, ever be about race. The scripture does not sanction that. Laws of the land do not sanction that. Race should not be a deciding factor. Now you say, well, it is. Well, yeah, okay, in some places it may be, but we're just talking about what the Bible says is right and what it says is wrong. We're talking about what rights we have. So here's a right. You have a right to be treated the same as anyone else, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your disability, regardless of any of those things that you had nothing to do with that God decided, your sex, you have the right to, if you're a male, you have the right to be treated like a man. If you're a female, you have the right to be treated like a female. Those are your rights. 
You don't have the right to change those things because, again, you didn't decide those things. God did. And so if God decided them, not yours to change, not mine to change. But you have the right to operate within those spheres in which God created you. So whether white, black, male, female, young, old, whatever, you have the right to operate within those realms that God created you and the things he gave you. You don't have the right to do outside of that. So the Bible says in Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 that we should open our mouth for the mute, the rights of all who are destitute, open our mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So we need to defend the rights of the poor and needy. Well, what are the rights of the poor and needy? Well, you know, we talked briefly about this in the biblical view of welfare, where in the biblical view of welfare, the wealthy would often leave sections of their crop unharvested so that the poor could come and harvest. Note this, Ruth, who was a woman, still had to go to the field and glean. She had to work. Why? Listen, it is your right to work. It is your right to earn a living. It is not your right to make someone else pay for your living. Just because you can. Your right is to go to job, go to work, get in the field, bust your tail, and earn a living. That's your right. Your right is to do more. You can earn an education today. You can go higher. You can you you know, you don't have to stay at that level, but you definitely don't have the right to make someone else pay for those things. Your right is to get out there and get the field. Okay, so we're supposed to judge righteously. We're supposed to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. What, how are we going to defend the rights? We're going to defend their rights to do what they need to do to provide for themselves. I'm going to defend the right of somebody to provide for themselves. I'm going to, if I'm, if I have the means, I'm going to help that person however I can to to do what they need to do to help themselves. Right, but I'm not going to just open up the bank account and just start writing checks so somebody can live however they want, do the wrong things, and expect somebody else to pay for it. Nobody has that right. They, but they have the right to get out there and work. And the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. It's that simple. So you have the right to work. You have the right to go get a job. You have the right to go earn an education. You have the right to start a company. You have the right to pursue happiness according to scripture, according to society. Those are your rights. You don't have the right to make somebody else pay for those things. Okay, so Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He created male and female. He created them. Male and female, he created them. So, you have the right to be a male, you have the right to be a female, you don't have the right to pick your side, okay? God chose your side. You don't have the right to choose something else. Micah 6.28, he's told you, O man, what, is, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Hey, you have the right. You have the right to do justice, to do justice to other people. And remember, let's talk about justice. Justice is not, you know, you forcing your rights on somebody else. Justice is justice according to God's word. And one of the things that stands out in God's word is, hey, you're going to love those who love you. You're going to pray for those who bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you. You're going to go over and above to be loving to other people. And you're going to treat others the way you want to be treated. That's kind of the golden rule. It's right out of the book. And so those are your rights. You have the right to love others, to be just to others. You have the right to uh, to show kindness. You have the right to walk humbly with your God. You don't have the right to be arrogant. You don't have the right to make somebody else do what you want them to do. You don't have the right to 
to in your pursuit of justice to cause wrong to other people because then you're not being just. Remember what we said earlier? A good thing, a bad thing, if it's a ruling thing. A good thing becomes a bad thing if it's a ruling thing. Paul Tripp said that, right? So, and it's, and that's actually very, very biblical. We should not allow the things that we think are our rights. We should not exalt those things to the place where they cause us to sin against our brother, right? Okay. HopeAfterPrison.com We help locate transitional housing for those being released from prison, regardless of their crime. And when permitted, we connect those being released with one or more mentors from the local church. To learn more, please visit HopeAfterPrison.com Okay, so we're looking back again at the scripture, Genesis 9-6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So this is, again, capital punishment. If you shed the blood of another man, and that man dies, the Bible says God will, through the authorities, Romans 13 talks about this, that the civil authority exists by God, that they are his ministers of wrath to execute justice against those who would do evil, that they do not bear the sword in vain. So if you commit capital punishment, and it is beyond a shadow of a doubt, then you definitely need to uh, take to respond to that and to... Uh, to take capital punishment, uh, to you, to practice capital punishment, not yourself, of course. Again, no vigilante justice, but you have the right to pursue that through the criminal court system. And people who whose lives have been taken by other people, if it's beyond the shadow of a doubt, they have the right to pursue that capital punishment also. And you need to be aware of that. So Isaiah one seventeen says Isaiah chapter one verse seventeen says learn to do good seek justice correct oppression bring justice to the fatherless plead the widow's cause so we have a right to help the fatherless to plead the widow's cause this falls on us this is the role of God's people we have the right to do those things you have the right to you have the right to as a as one of those people for example as a fatherless as a widow's cause you have the right to. Uh, believe that God has asked people to help take care of you, but you don't have the right to make them do it, and you have the right to take your responsibility in that role. So like we said earlier, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So you have the right to get out there and work. You have the right to enhance your education. You have the right to do more. Let the thief who stole steal no more. Instead, let him get a job so that he can have to give to others, right? So you have the right to do these things, but you don't have the right to make other people pay for them. And we know that these, these are the rights that God has given us, right? Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as you love, your, as you love yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Now listen, this is very important. So all throughout the scripture, sometimes I've been known to say to the men that we help, I'll constantly remind them, well, you know, we, we gave you a place. We helped you with food. We did this. We did this. We did this. And they'll say, oh, Chandler, you know, you shouldn't remind that. Uh, you should not remind us of that. Well, I'm in good company, you know, because that's the way it's done. God does that, too. He says, hey, I did these things for you, so you need to do this. And if it's done in a godly way, encouraging someone to do right, then it's totally appropriate. And one of the things that you learn from this passage in Leviticus 19, 33 and 34 is that our treatment of others should not be based on their treatment of us. 
Our treatment of others should not be based on other people's beliefs or standards. Our treatment of others should be based on how God has dealt with us. Our treatment of others should be based on how God has dealt with us. So when we think about charity, when we think about welfare, when we think about helping the poor and helping the disenfranchised, listen, I am firmly committed to a form of biblical charity, biblical welfare, etc. I don't believe that's the role of the state. I don't think the scripture believes that's the role of the state. The script, the role of the state is to in, enforce God's laws and to enforce you know, the right over wrong and civil justice and those kinds of things. But the, the ultimate, the role of charity, the role of welfare, the role of biblical charity begins at home. It begins at home. It begins with relatives. It begins with the public, the wealthy. It does not begin with the state. It's not the state's role to make me give up a portion of my field. It's God's law to say, hey, this is what you should do. This is what you ought to do. And it's my job to do it as someone who may be wealthy, for example, although I'm not. But if I was, it's my job to to make that available to people. But it's not the state's role to say, I'm going to take that corner of your field and I'm going to give it to this person over here. That is not a biblical form of charity. Again, but we should, you know, here's the sad thing. The sad thing is, if we were following what the scripture says in Leviticus 19.33, note, you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So if all of us would just treat each other like God has treated us, how much better would this world be? InmateMentors.com Help us help your loved one. We write letters, send books, accept collect calls, help those incarcerated plan and prepare for release, and create parole packages. To learn more, please visit InmateMentors.com. Okay, so we're continuing our discussion on rights, and the last thing that I had said was that our treatment of others is not supposed to be based on how we have been treated by others. It's not supposed to be based on how they have treated us. It's not supposed to be based on what society says. It's certainly not supposed to be based on the color of their skin or any of our thoughts about decisions they've made or haven't made. Our treatment of others is supposed to be based on how God has treated us. And I remember right after my release from prison 25 years ago, I remember the church, the Stillwater Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. If you're in that area, that's the church to go to. The Stillwater Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. I believe their website is stillwaterrpc.org. That church loved me well, and their love for me was not on the basis of anything I had done. In fact, the only thing they knew about me, much like God, by the way, was the worst there was to know about me. And yet, despite the worst there was to know about me, they loved me way beyond anything that most people would ever expect or imagine. This church loved me so well. Let me just, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the story. I have to. So I get out of prison and um, 
the pastor was a young pastor at the time, not now, but he was a young pastor then, and he had not been pastoring long, and he had no experience with prison ministry. Most of his people had come off the ark as Christians. <laughs> um, so they, you know, I was definitely a new thing for them, and so he's like, I don't know, you know, what can we do? And I said, well, do you have a weekly motel there? And he said, yes. And so I said, well, would, you, would the church help me get that weekly motel? And he said, yeah, we can help you do that. I think we can do that. And so I came from the prison. The prison fellowship volunteer picked me up, took me down to the church. And um, the pastor met me at the hotel room and he said, here's an envelope with $200 in it. He said, there's more where that came from. Uh, all we ask that you do is provide us the receipts and make sure that we, you know, we understand what you're doing with your money and that you be accountable to us. Meet with us for regular financial accountability, but go get what you need because we know you're going to have some immediate needs. You're not far from a Walmart. You can get to the Walmart and get what you need. And if there's more that you need and it's, you know, legitimate needs and we'll help you meet those needs. And he said, here's the key to the hotel room. Now, this hotel room's only been paid for a week. And, you know, I'm fresh out of prison. I don't have a job yet. I have an idea for a job, but I don't have the job yet. So I was like, okay. So he says, hey, look, here's the thing. I don't even want you to worry about a job this week. What I want you to do is go find a place, an apartment, a house, whatever. We're going to help you pay all your expenses to get on your feet. We'll cover the deposits. We'll cover the utilities. We'll cover all expenses until you're able to get on your feet and support yourself. I was just like, you got to be kidding me. For the next week, I don't think I had a lunch or dinner alone. Every family in that church, as I recall, invited me into their homes and showed me the love of Christ in a way that was just unbelievable. And, you know, it's sad that it is unbelievable because this is what all Christians should do, right? In fact, uh, another elder at another church, we won't say where, um, made the comment that what that church had done was so exceptional for you, Chandler. You were exceptional, and that church was exceptional, and what they did for you was exceptional. And that was his defense for saying why their church doesn't do that to people they need to love. And, you know, but you know what? That um, I went down and I told the pastor at Stillwater what this other elder had said, and he said, you know what, Chandler? He said, um, he kind of laughed. He said, huh, funny, because uh, I thought what we did was what we were supposed to do. And why was that? Was it because of anything in me? You know, the other elder had made the comment I was exceptional. The reason he said I was exceptional, not because I was anything special, but because a pastor had driven for two years, discipled me, mentored me, loved me, encouraged me. He's the one who made the referral to the church. So I was an exceptional case in that I wasn't coming to them blindly and they didn't have, you know, absolutely no knowledge about me, but they still even with that pastoral reference, could have made it much more difficult on me than they did. They could have been much harsher on me than they were. They weren't. They love me like no one ever has before or really since. They just love me, besides Christ, of course. But on earth, they love me like I've never been loved before. It was such an amazing church and still is. And the people that were there then are still there. Many of the people, by the way, that I invited or indirectly invited to that church are still there because the church loves people so well. They understand how to love others. They understand how to love the body of Christ. It's exceptional what they do, and it shouldn't be, should it? It should be what we do. And so when we talk about our rights and we talk about 
biblical charity and biblical welfare and how we should love others, we have to remember that our love should not be based upon what's been done for us by others. It shouldn't be based on what that person has done, whether they've been a good person or a bad person. No. Instead, the Bible says that the love of God, the love that we show others, should be based on what God has done for us. Just like we read in that passage in Leviticus, the stranger that dwells among you, you know what? Hey, I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. You need to treat this person well. You need to love this person. Why? Not because of anything in them, because of what God has done for us. And this really comes down to how you see yourself, doesn't it? It really does. In Luke chapter 8, uh, in, in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, he says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. How does this describe what we see so much in our political system? And I know it's funny. You're thinking the Democrats are going, yeah, those Republicans, they're bad. They treat themselves, they treat others with contempt. And the Democrats and the Republicans are thinking, yeah, those Democrats are bad. They treat other people with contempt. The reality is, is that both sides are, both sides are in error in so many ways. And both are guilty of treating others with contempt and not remembering that the way we're supposed to treat others is what God says in his word. Because if we let God's word dictate how we treat others and what we do for others and what our government should do for others, oh goodness, most of these arguments would be over and life would be so much better, wouldn't it? Right? Yeah, okay, in a perfect world. But we don't live in a perfect world. But what are we supposed to do as individuals? He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus leaves no doubt in verse 14, the outcome of those two prayers. I tell you, this man, referring to the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other referring to the Pharisee. Which one are you? Do you find yourself looking down on others because of decisions they made? Do you find yourself unsympathetic to their situation because of their background or the situation they find themselves in? Do you find yourself avoiding the people on the street that are begging for money because you don't even want to look at them? You don't want them to touch you. You're afraid of how they smell or what they look like. Do you find yourself thinking that those people don't deserve your charity because of decisions they've made or things that they've done wrong? Do you thank God that you're not like them, that you've done things right? You need to be concerned. Because if that's you, Jesus is here saying, those kind of people, they don't get it. 
That's why for me, the most scary verses in all of Scripture are found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, where Jesus says, hey, there are going to be people in that day who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice sin. Notice he did not refute that they had done those things or not done those things. He didn't even argue with them. He said, it doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. What matters is you don't know me and you're still sinning and living a lie and you're still judging and being harsh toward others when you ought to be loving and kind and gracious because of what I've done for you. You still think you got this. You still think you've made it. You're the one who doesn't need my help. You're the one who doesn't need charity or welfare. Oh, thank God. I'm not like those people. And Jesus says to you, there are going to be a lot of people who think they're right and they're going to find out they're wrong. Dead wrong. Thank you for listening to Not a Square Inch, the podcast of Hope Prison Ministries. Join us next time. To learn more, please visit us at notasquareinch.org.